God, we, uh, as always, um, I don't mean to say that tritely either, but as always, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe he is, as one of the ancient creeds says, the Lord and the giver of life. So, Holy Spirit, um, you're welcome here. You're welcome in each one of us to speak to us, to show us things, to shout things at us, to whisper things at us. But Holy Spirit, we need you if we're going to understand and follow God and be followers of Jesus and we understand the Bible. So um, we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I'm going to start off with story hour. Um, It's not going to be an hour either. Don't get bored. But um, one of my favorite books, I have like 30 favorite books, so it doesn't really matter. It's called The Journey of Desire. It's by a guy named John Elders, and it talks about, it relates to what I've been talking about with Exodus lately, this whole day of wanting more, and what does it mean to desire more of God? I'm not going to read the book part, but he has, a, he, he has a parable of the sea lion. And again, when you hear this, it's really about our pursuit of knowing God and some of the things that we settle for, all right? So it's uh, three pages long, but it's, four, it's 16 point font, so it won't be that long because I have to have the bigger font, all right? This is called the sea line, all right? But again, think about the hunger you have to have more of the Christian life than what you have, all right? Once upon a time, there lived a sea lion who had lost the sea. He lived in a country known as the Barren Lands, high on a plateau, far from any coast. It was a place so dry and dusty that it could only be called a desert. The kind of coarse grass grew in patches here and there, and a few trees were scattered across the horizon, but mostly it was dust. Sometimes wind, which together would make one very thirsty. Of course, it may seem strange to you that such a beautiful creature should wind up in the desert at all. He was, mind you, a sea lion. But things like this do happen. How did the sea lion come to the barren lands? No one could remember. It all seemed so very long ago, so long, in fact, it appeared he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. How could that be? He was, after all, a sea lion. But as you know, once you've lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how old, you come to think of it as home. There was a time many years back when the sea lion knew he was lost. In those days, he would stop every traveler he met to see if he might help him find his way back to the sea. But no one seemed to know the way. On he searched, but never finding. After years without success, the sea lion took refuge beneath a single solitary tree beside a very small water hole. The tree provided refuge from the burning rays of the sun, which was very fierce in that place. And the water hole, though small and muddy, was wet in its own way. Here he settled down and got on best he could. Had you journeyed those days to the barren lands, you might have seen the sea lion for yourself. Quite often in the evening, he would go and sit on his favorite rock, a very large boulder which lifted him off the burning sand and allowed him a view of the entire country. There he would remain for hours into the night, silhouetted against the sky. And on the best nights, when the wind shifted to the east, a faint smell of salt air would come to him on the breeze. Then he would close his eyes and imagine himself once more at the sea. When he lay himself down to sleep, he would dream of a vast deep ocean, twisting and turning and diving and twirling. He would swim and swim and swim. When he woke, he thought he could hear the sound of the breakers. The sea was calling him. 
The sea lion loved his rock and even loved waiting night after night for the sea breezes that might come. Especially he loved the dreams those memories would stir. But as you well know, even the best of dreams cannot go on. And in the morning when the sea lion woke, he was still in the barren lands. Sometimes he would close his eyes and try to fall back asleep. Never seemed to work, for the sun was always very bright. Eventually it became too much for him to bear. He began to visit his rock only on occasion. I have too much to do, he told himself. I can't waste my time just idling about. He really didn't have so much to do. The truth of it was, waking so far from home was such a disappointment. He did not want to have those dreams anymore. The day finally came when he stopped going to the rock altogether. He no longer lifted his nose to the wind when the sea breezes blew. The sea lion was not entirely alone in those parts, for it was there that he met the tortoise. Now, this tortoise was an ancient creature, so weathered by his life in the barren lands, that at first the sea lion took him for a rock. He told the tortoise of his plight, hoping that the wise one might be able to help him. Perhaps, the tortoise mused, this is the sea. His eyes appeared to be shut against the bright sun, but he was watching the sea lion very closely. The sea lion swept his flippers once against the side, gliding to the end of the water hole and back. I don't know, he said. It isn't very deep. Somehow I thought it would be broader, deeper, or at least I hope so. You must learn to be happy here, the tortoise told him one day. For it is unlikely you will ever find this sea of yours. Deep in his old and shriveled heart, the tortoise envied the sea lion and his sea. But I belong to the sea. We were made for each other. Perhaps, said the tortoise, but you have been gone so long now the sea has probably forgotten you. This thought has never occurred to the sea lion, but it was true. He had been gone for a long, long time. If this is not my home, how can I ever feel at home here? The sea lion asked. You will in time, the tortoise replied. He appeared to be squinting, his eyes a thin slit. I have seen the sea and is no better than what you have found here. You have seen the sea, the sea lion said. Yes, come closer, whispered the tortoise. And I will tell you a secret. I'm not a tortoise. I'm a sea turtle. But I have left the sea of my own accord many years ago in search of better things. If you stay with me, I will tell you stories of my adventures. The stories of the ancient tortoise were enchanting and soon cast their spell upon the sea lion. As weeks passed the months, his memory of the sea faded. The desert whispered the tortoise, is all that is, or was, or ever will be. When the sun grew fierce and burned his skin, the sea lion would hide in the shade of the tree, listening to the tales woven by the tortoise. When the dry winds cracked his flippers and filled his eyes with dust, the sea lion would retreat to the waterhole. And so the sea lion remained, living his days between the waterhole and the tree. The sea no longer filled his dreams. It was May that the winds began to blow, and the sea lion had grown used to the wind, and at first he didn't pay much heed at all. Years of desert life, have taught, the years of desert life had taught him to turn his back in the direction from which the wind came and cover his eyes with his slippers so that dust would not get in. Eventually, the winds would always pass, but not this time. Day and night it came, howling across the barren lands. There was nothing to stop its fury, Nothing to even slow it down. For 40 days and 40 nights, the wind blew. And then just as suddenly as it begun, it stopped. 
the seeing lion lifted himself to look around, he could hardly believe his eyes. Every single leaf had been stripped from the tree. The branches that remained with only a twig or two upon them looked like an old scarecrow. And I do not need to tell you that there was no longer any shade in which to hide. But worse than this, much worse indeed, was that the sea lion, what the sea lion saw next. The water hole was completely dry. Three weeks after the wind had ceased to blow, the sea lion had a dream. Now, as I told you before, there were other nights in which he dreamed of the sea, but those were long ago and nearly forgotten. Even still, the ocean that filled his dreams this night was so beautiful and clear, so vast and deep, it was as if he were seeing it for the very first time. The sunlight glittered on the surface, and he dived, and all the waters around him shone like an emerald. If he swam quite, quite deep, it turned to jade, cool and dark and mysterious. He was never frightened, not at all. For I must tell you that in his dreams of the sea, he had never before found himself in the company of other sea lions. This night, there were many round about him, diving and turning and spinning and twirling. They were playing. Oh, how he hated to wake up from that wonderful dream. The tears running down his face were the first wet thing he felt in three weeks. But he did not pause to even wipe them away. He did not pause and pack pack for anything at all. He set his face to the east and began to walk as best a sea lion can. Where are you going? asked the tortoise. I'm going to find the sea. So I've been in this series called Want More. You know, wanting more of God, and I, I think that analogy speaks for itself. There's times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where you've settled for just whatever. I, I, you know, Jesus promises peace and joy and supernatural realities in my life. I'm not getting it, therefore it must not be real. I'll settle for uh, a few songs at church and reading my Bible once in a while. That's kind of where we settle. I've done that, you've done that. But it's like, is the more to our desire? Is there more that God wants for us? Of course there is. We know that. But because we've either forgotten it or we've tried and it doesn't happen, we don't know. So we just kind of get on, like the sea sea line, get on with life. The rock, the tree, the water hole, whatever. All right. So, um, and I've been doing this, I've been talking a lot about Moses uh, when he says, ask God to show him the glory. And then, Paul and Philippians. So both these two verses we're going to read, I'm going to have you read them with me, are about desire. You know, desire, wanting more of what your current reality is. All right, this first one, go to the next slide, is Paul in Philippians 3. Now again, Paul, you, you might know this, but Paul was, had lived a pretty full life at that time. He, had, he was a hater of God, then he became a Christian because God interrupted his life on the road to, on the road when he was going on the road. And, and but then Paul was like a powerful preacher, but then he, had, he was persecuted, arrested, whipped, beaten, beaten with rods, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But, he, he, but Philippians is off Philippians. He wrote from the jail in Rome where he was in jail, and this Philippians is often called the epistle of joy because he writes so much about joy, and you're like, how, how can you write about joy when that's what you've been through? But even with all what he's been through and how he's come to a deeper knowledge of Christ now, he says this. And you can see I have the I want uh, uh, capitalized. So why don't you read, read this out loud with me. This is Paul. All right, here we go. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. 
I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. All right. The second part is a little challenging, but he's, it, it's, he's talking about desire. He's not talking about right theology. He's not talking about good doctrine. Of course, Paul was all about right theology and good doctrine, but he's saying, I want, I want, I have desire. I want more, all right? Now, let's go to the next one. This is, this is Moses talking about this, that after the children of Israel, they were leaving Egypt to go to the promised land, they made numerous mistakes, even though God had done huge things for them. They sinned, they complained against God, and that's where God said to them, God told Moses, okay, you guys can keep going on to the promised land, modern-day Israel. I'm not going with you because people are too rebellious. And Moses is like, well, if you don't go with us, don't send us. He understood that if you don't have the God in your life, don't, don't send me to the next year or the next decade of my life without you going with me. And God says, okay, I will. And then Moses, I'm adding a little bit to the text here, but he, I think he kind of had the sense of, can I ask one more thing, God, before we head out? And he's asked this. Read these five words with me, all right? One, two, three. Then show me your glory. Like he asked God, I'm, I'm, I want to see you. I want to experience you. And this had to come from a deep place of desire in Paul. He's like, well, I get that. I saw, he saw the plagues. He saw the Red Sea parted. He saw water come out of a rock. He saw bread fall down from heaven. But he still knows there's more of God he hasn't understood or experienced yet. And he wants that. He desires that. All right. And that's where, go to the next slide. We've done this the last few weeks. So when God does pass by and shows Moses his glory... God even says, I'm going to have my goodness pass by you. This is glory. So the glory, this is what God says when he's passing by Moses and said, God shouted this, Yahweh the Lord, compassionate and gracious. God's describing himself, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. This is who God, so this is who God thinks he is. That sounds like God doesn't really know. This is who God is. That's who he says he is. And Moses is basically saying, I want to experience you. I want to know you. And God says, this is, this is what you can know about me. And again, those are words that have definitions. Moses had a chance to experience the person of God, who's more than just words with definitions, right? So that's what he wants, is he wants more of that. So, so then, uh, so back to the want more slide. Go to the next slide there, John. So, there's different ways you can look at this. I'm going to talk about different options here that maybe you, all right. One way, and just leave it on this slide. One way you might think, well, does that mean I need more religion in my life? Want more? Like, do I need to pray more? Read more? Fast more? Give more? Serve more? Sing more? Attend more? Behave more? Witness more? Is that what you're talking about? Of course, that's not. It, those things can be important in different ways. But this would be the want more of the religious life. I need to do more things. I guess I should. I, I have a family member that will often say to me, I know I should pray more. Well, I don't think that's the spirit of God. We all should pray more. We all should. But I, I should pray more. If you're, you're my Bible more. Somebody else says I, people should witness more. We should testify more. All these mores that really for most of us feel like guilt. Right? Do more of that. You should go to church more. If you're Catholic, you go to Mass more, you do this more, 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 more. And those can all be good things. I'm not knocking any of those things. Giving, fasting, praying, reading the Bible. But I'm talking about, and I think the Bible talks about desire. 
I desire more. Even the opening psalm we read from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. Desire. Long. So it's not, it's not wanting more religion. So it's not that. It's also not. This is kind of where world religions play. I'm not, it's, not, it's not wanting less either. Buddhism, at its core, would say that desire is the problem. If you just desired less... You'd be happier. Here's actual quotes from Buddha. I'm not knocking Buddhism. I'm knocking the spirit of the age because this is all. All right. This is some things that Buddha said. What is the root of all evil? Desire is the root of evil. Life that is not free from desire and passion is always involved in suffering. So get, get rid of desire and passion. Just lower, lower the flame. This is Buddha again. Those who act with few desires are calm and without worry or fear. So drop the desire, you get calm, no worry, no fear. Live joyfully without desire, says Buddha. And then this one I really like. Out of the forest of desire springs danger. Cut down the forest of desire and the brushwood of longing. So to some degree, what we've opted for, nobody would say we've opted for the Buddhist option, but there's like a Christian version of this. I'm just going to want less. I'm going to say the watering hole and the tree and the, the rock, that's, I'm good. I'm going, to, I'm going to lower my expectations of what God says in his word he's going to do in my life. Because if I lower my expectations, I'll be happier in kind of a, at least a fake way. I won't be disappointed. So there is kind of the option of, you can choose this option. I'm not really going to, I don't want to want more because when I want more, I get disappointed more. When I hunger for more, I, when I thirst for more, so I'm just going to want less. I'm going to be thirsty for less. I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll defend truth and orthodoxy and doctrine. But I don't want to experience, I don't want to expect more of my life with God experientially because I'm afraid I'll be disappointed. So I'd rather just take the Christian Buddhist option, is, which is I'm just going to desire less. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm afraid of my desires. I'm afraid of my passions. I mean, when the quote of Buddha said, get rid of your passion. I'm afraid of my desire and my passion. That's not... Find your desire. Find your passion. All right? So it's not wanting more religion. It's not wanting less. But it's also not... It's not also... Wanting more is also not wanting relief. The heart of addictions are people who want more, don't get it, impatient so alcohol cocaine television pornography provide relief in a, in a book called uh, biology of desire why addiction is not a disease dr mark lewis says this the trick to overcoming addiction is the realignment of desire so that it switches from the goal of immediate relief to the goal of long-term fulfillment all right so Sometimes what we do with our desire is it so frustrates us, we want immediate relief, so we turn to the things that give immediate relief. Again, anything that anesthetizes our heart, whether it's, like I said, alcohol, television, sports, pornography, drugs, whatever. Addiction is addiction. Addiction is what we do to get relief, because, and we want it right now. So he just says we have to realign the want now to long-term fulfillment. And I think others, when we're rational, we think, well, 
immediate gratification, we, we get that. But the long-term fulfillment is something that we're not always willing to sacrifice that for. If we're honest, I'm not really sure if what the Bible says is true, if God is going to give me deep peace and deep joy and deep hope. So I better take what I can get now. So I take my wants to now, and I will fulfill them now. And if God's, what he said is true, then it's not always now. Right? That, that's, that, that's, why the, that's why the Israelites in the desert made the golden calf. They wanted relief. They wanted now. They wanted their desires fulfilled now. All right? So then we go back to this, uh, wanting more. So Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know his suffering. And that kind of blows our minds, at least it does mine. Because like I, but there's something about long-term fulfillment that involves being willing to suffer with Christ. Right? That's part of long, but long-term fulfillment is deep joy, deep peace, deep power, patience, generosity, kindness, mercy, forgiveness. Something every one of us wants to be. But do we wait for that? Do we, do we believe it's going to happen? Um, one of my favorite books, and I've mentioned this before, it's called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And just to highlight today, I actually have my A.W. Tozer socks on today that one of my kids got me for Christmas, all right? Has his face on Allison works for the, the place that owns the publishing rights, so they apparently made socks with his face on it, so I'm walking all over A.W. Tozer today, all right? Um, but so I, I, and I actually took a picture and sent it to my daughter, Allison, because she knows I like a lot of his stuff. He was a pastor in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, mostly in Chicago, some in Ohio, some in Canada. But um, he has a chapter, talk, and it's, it's called The Pursuit of God, so it's all about wanting more, all right, wanting more. All right? He has a chapter in his book. It's a short book, so if you want to read it, it's a short book. I'm not, I know not everybody is motivated by short books, but I sure am, so... But one of the things, he has, a, he has a prayer at the end of one of the chapters. This chapter, this particular chapter is really on, on he calls it following hard after God. Like, I, I want more. All right? And one of the things he says in this prayer is, and I'll just, I'll just paraphrase it. because it's, He says, can you pray this prayer? God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. And I thirst to be made more thirsty. Maybe that's, maybe that's the only place you can say right now. Sometimes that's where I am. I can't say, well, I'm thirsty for you, God. You know, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. We've just read that at the start of the service. Maybe the best you can say is, I, well, I can't say that, but I, 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 I'm thirsting. I thirst to be that thirsty. I long to have that much longing. I want to have that much want. That may be the only thing you offer to God. You can't stir it up. Scripture tells us nobody can come to the Father except, or nobody can come to Jesus unless God draws him. So maybe your, your prayer is, God, would, I'm open if you want to draw me to you. I, I want to thirst to be thirsty. I want to long to have more longing for you. And this is not about emotionalism. This is not about um, being needy or wacky in any kind of needy, wacky way. We're all needy. We're all desperate. But it does come out of desperation. It comes out of a place of desperation of, I'm not really, I'm making life work at the watering hole with the tree and the rock, 
but it's not really doing it for me. And I think there's more. I've been told there's more. Jesus tells me there's more. I haven't experienced it, and I'm afraid to even want to experience it because I'm afraid I'll be disappointed. If you haven't been there, I've been there. We've all been there, right? I, I, I want more. I, can I trust what Jesus says when he says he's give us peace the world can't take away? And he gives us joy in the midst of trials, and he gives us the power to forgive when we think we have no ability to forgive anybody who's hurt us deeply. He even says that we could do the things that he did in terms of miraculous power. But it's not just simply chasing after that. It's more of, am I open to know Christ in the way that Paul wanted to know Christ? Am I open to want to know God in the way Moses wanted to know God? What does that mean? How do I do that? So, um, which I actually close. Actually, I'm going to read this passage one more time. Read that out loud with me, because I just, if, if if nothing else this week, when you pray, maybe if your only prayer is, "I want to know Christ," or "Show me your glory." So read this out loud with me. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death. And then he Paul goes on to say, being like Jesus in His resurrection. I want to be like Jesus. I want to suffer with him. So uh, now I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask. um, Like I said, none of us, I'm not. I'm I'm pursuing it. But none of us are at the point where we say, yeah, I want want more of God, exclamation point, 45 point font. I'll scream it out, you know, whatever. But I think a lot of us. Maybe the point where I said, well, I, I want to know more of God. At least I want to want that. I, I, I want to be thirsty. So, and, and then you might ask me, what does that mean? And I'd be like, well, it's the same thing when the sea lion went to the sea. He just said, I'm going. And, I, and I'm going to trust that I'll find it. I'm not saying it's a, I'm not saying you navigate in the dark. But if you pursue God and you say you want to pursue God, he will guide you. Whether that means prayer, Bible, all those things, those are maybe parts of it, but let Jesus guide you in your search. So I'm just going to, uh, I don't do this often. I might do this more regularly, but I'm going to ask if, if that, just keep your eyes closed, but if, uh, if that's you, and you're like, I, I want to want more. I'm thirsty to be thirsty. I'm going to ask you just to stand up right now. Keep your eyes closed. Just stand up. If if nothing else, you're saying it to God. You're saying it to yourself, but you're saying it to God. So just stand up. If nothing else, when your body does something, it's kind of like when we were clapping during worship. Sometimes our bodies stamp something onto our memories that we think, "I, I do want that. I want that. Standing up isn't magical, but again, there's something that our bodies say to our souls. So for those who are standing, even for those who may be sitting, who I'm absolutely convinced are hungry and thirsty in a variety of ways. So I pray, Jesus, that you would honor our prayers when we say, I want to want to want more of you, God. You honor our prayers when we say, I want to want you, God. And you definitely honor our prayers and we say, God, I want to know you. 
And we can't manipulate it. We can't control it. We can't make it into a formula. We try to, but we can't. But what we can do is we trust you. Just like Moses trusted you, Paul trusted you, ancient saints, women and men throughout history have trusted you in their pursuit of you. So I pray for that, for those who are standing and those of us who are sitting. Everybody can sit down now. So God, I pray that, pray that you would stir that in us. We, we, we don't want to be... <laughs> it's an old, old song that probably nobody knows here, and I'm not going to sing it, but there's an old song that the lyrics start out, or the chorus is, I don't want to be a casual Christian. I don't want to live lukewarm. So God, I pray that we would not be casual Christians, that we would be followers of Jesus who follow after you, not just follow behind you, check off the doctrine boxes and the I'm going to go to heaven after I die box, but we follow with clarity and with passion after you because we know that following you changes us and gives us a level and a depth of passion and desire that we have never known but we hunger for. We know it's there. We know the ocean is out there. We trust it's out there. We know it is because you said it is, God. And if we can't trust what you've said, that you said you reveal yourself to us. In the in Gospel of John, you said you reveal yourself to those who obey you. you. You manifest yourself to us. And that doesn't mean a doctrinal paper you drop on our heads. You show yourself to us. And if that's true... If it's not true, then we're wasting our time. Let's close the church down, all right? If it's true, it's worth pursuing. And we believe it's true. So, Jesus, we love you. Uh, Jesus, you're worthy um, because you were slain, like we read from Revelation earlier. And because of that, as we lead into communion, you opened up, the Bible tells us, a whole new and living way to know God. Not stiff, not stoic, not... uh, passive, but a passionate way to follow after you. We love you, God, and we ask this on your name. Amen.